All right, welcome back to the show today. We are talking about what happens when we worship. So often um, it's easy for us to come to church on Sunday and get in a routine and just like we pay our bills or eat dinner or, or go to work, church is just one more thing that we kind of add to our plate. And I think um, and I think we all do this to some extent where we just start going through the motions. And I think the tragic thing about that is that um, the New Testament describes um, coming to worship as arriving at Mount Zion, coming into the heavenly Jerusalem, um, coming into the presence of angels and the saints that are in heaven, coming into the presence of the living God and and Jesus Christ, who is the mediator of the covenant. And um, failing to see that, not only will your your worship of the, the triune God suffer, but your um, your experience and interaction with this God, which your soul so desperately needs, will suffer. So we're going through this series right now, what happens when we worship. We, we understand as Christians that we should go to worship, but do we know what happens when we worship? And I just wanted to jump in real quick. I know it's a Monday morning and, and wanted just to, to say welcome to the Gospel for Life. I, I'm, <laughs> yeah, that, that too. <laughs> I'm Pastor Russ from Cloverdale URC. Um, you've heard Josh Bales from The Well. Um, Jonathan Van Hoogen is with us from um, Dayspring Reformed. And um, Ryan Hemphill is here from um, Treasure Valley RPCNA. So we're glad to have you here. This was a topic at our Reformation Boise Conference mm-hmm. um, this past year on worship. This coming year, if we can shamelessly plug the yes, conference, absolutely. Um, we will on October 21st and 22nd. It's it's a little bit of an extension of, of this topic. We're going to have a conference dealing with the church. And um, Dr. Derek Thomas and Dr. Joel Beakey will be here. Yeah. Um, so nice. if you want to mark your calendars, October 21st and 22nd, all of the information, I think, is shortly going to be on ReformationBoise.com. I'm so offended because I texted you last week and asked you when the dates were for the conference, and you never responded. So now I have to hear about it through the radio. Anticipation. Oh, I, wanted anticipation. You to, <laughs> I wanted you to have that anticipation. So what is he it He wanted again? the real reaction October right now. October 21st, like 22nd, theme is on the, the church, Dr. Derek Thomas, Dr. Joel Beakey, and um, – if you go to ReformationBoise.com, you can actually go back and listen to previous conferences. And so if you want to hear um, actually people who really truly know what they're talking about <laughs> talk about worship, um, you can um, go back and listen to Dr. Godfrey and, and Dr. Johnson who spoke last year. Yep. Okay, so the book that we're reviewing is What Happens When We Worship Well. Okay, to be fair, we're not really reviewing it. We're just using it as a kind of springboard for our conversations. But it's a really great book, What Happens When We Worship by Jonathan Cruz. And he gives like six answers to that question. Um, So here's the second answer that Cruz gives. What happens when we worship? Well, we are being shaped. So here's the first question today. So explain what it means that we are being shaped or we become what we worship, uh, can you use scriptural examples to, to demonstrate this claim? Uh, just a little, a few weeks ago I preached on Psalm 115. It, it's actually um, the passage that I would like preached at my funeral. So if you guys ever preach my funeral sermon, this is the text that I want. Um, and it starts with this incredible truth, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name, 
give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Mm-hmm. And then just a couple lines down, it says, so it's, a, it's about worship. And then it says, their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, eyes but don't see. They have ears but don't hear, noses but don't smell. They have hands but don't feel, feet but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So do all who trust in them. And that's a fundamental principle of worship. Yep. We become what we worship. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's yeah. there's other scriptures, right? Like, um, and the, so there's another principle in the New Testament, Second Corinthians three eighteen, that um, we change from one degree of glory to another, uh, or Romans eight, that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, and that comes through worship. But there, there's a really example, uh, a great contrast that happens. You guys remember when the children of Israel worshipped the golden calf, right? Mm-hmm. Cruz in his book draws out how they actually became like the cow. Uh, now, they didn't start mooing and they didn't start eating grass, but they started demonstrating animal-like tendencies. They became uh, hard-hearted. They, they, they scattered like, you know, sheep without a shepherd. They, um, they acted like beasts. Contrast that with Moses when he went up to the mountain. What did he become like? He became well, I like, think Cruz points out that you know his face shone with the glory of God, and he and he becomes more like God. Right. That's right. I mean, which is what we're what we're made to do. I mean, we we've been made in His image, made to reflect Him. Yep. And so, the more we're drawn into His presence, the more we actually fulfill the calling for which we were made. That's right. And like we said a couple of days ago. Um, Worship is an inescapable concept. It's not a matter of whether you worship, but what you worship. Right. And so every single human being worships. And so whatever you worship, that's what you become like. So, um, for instance, like if you worship sex, um, you're going to become a pervert of, of some sort. If you worship money, you'll become greedy. Uh, right. If you worship um materialism uh material goods then that will be all that defines your life your success your career so it again um just open up your eyes to to this reality this is an worship is an all-defining reality so in first john 3 we read beloved we are god's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has, who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Mm-hmm. So the great promise to the children of God is that right now, as Josh mentioned before, we're being changed from one degree of glory to the next. Um, but the, the great promise and hope is that there'll be a day when we'll be in the presence of God and what will happen is that because sin cannot be in his presence, sin will be completely removed from God's children forever. And we will be like him mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because we behold him. Yeah. And so the process that we're on right now that's slow and laborious, yeah. that being changed from one degree of glory to the next, um, yeah. boy, those are baby steps. Yeah. So this well, connects to um, this connects to our Sunday worship mm-hmm. because Cruz's claim in the book is that the liturgies that we engage in, that we participate in, those liturgies shape us. Mm-hmm. So let's start with that premise. So first of all, what is a liturgy, and how do how do liturgies shape us? 
Well, the the word actually comes from, the meaning of that word is the work of the people. So, it, basically, a liturgy is the involvement of the people in response to God. Yep. Is it is it true that only some churches have liturgies and other churches are don't have liturgies? Well, we all have a we all have a pattern to what we do. Rather, you know, what whatever church you're in, whether it's you know your your song set at the beginning and the announcements, and then going into um, mm-hmm. you know at some point um, the the point in which uh, the pastor may preach that can be called a liturgy or an order of service. Mm-hmm. Brian Chapel has a really good book, uh, Christ Centered Worship, where he goes through and throughout church history and looks at the different liturgies or order of worship yeah. is basically what it is of what the church does, how the church moves through the process of worshiping God. And one of the things he points out is a common theme that we see is orders of worship or liturgies that point people to Christ. Yeah. And I think he said Martin Luther said, you know, he wanted the liturgy to point people to Christ because even if the preacher, I'm paraphrasing, even the preacher was horrible, people would still be pointed to Christ. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think there's a sense today of, of, Worship should be spirit-led. Mm-hmm. And so um, some churches give the idea that there's spontaneity, and that's more spiritual because that's spirit-led worship as opposed to if you actually have a written liturgy, then that there is no spirit at work because you've bound the spirit um, because you, you're only involved in dry orthodoxy. That might be an overstatement of, of the view, but I've actually had people kind of say that to me, that well, the Spirit doesn't work in your church because you have an, uh, a, a, a liturgy that's printed, right? where the Spirit does work in our church because we don't have, quote-unquote, a liturgy. Yeah, I mean, it's just not accurate. I mean, I, I was at a sacred-friendly church for 10 years, and they were very anti-traditionalist, but they had a tradition every Sunday. They they ran through a certain set, a certain form. Um, so uh, addressing uh, one of the things that he says in his book that I thought was so fascinating, so six days a week, uh, even the other six days a week, there's a certain liturgy to our lives, mm-hmm. a certain order, a certain way of us reacting to the world. And when we come into worship on the Lord's Day, what worship is meant for us to do is to retrain us. It's meant to reset us. It's meant to adopt God's story as opposed to the the story of the world before we came in. Can you guys um, talk about how important that reset is on on the on the Lord's Day? I think. Well, we can go all the way back to Genesis and the and creation. You know the. Um, the, he set apart that day, and it's it's holy. It's it's special, it, you know. So, you know, six days a week you do your work. The seventh day is holy unto the Lord. You know, it's the same thing. In, uh, you know, when we get to the Ten Commandments and the repetition in in the Book of Deuteronomy, uh, you know, it says you know, he attributes the reason we worship uh, and we have that day set apart is because we've been uh, set free from the bondage that we were in. So it's all about resting, either resting from the bondage that we've been in, you know, resting in him or resting from our works of creation. Um, those are the reasons why we that day is set apart. Yeah, And to uh, just get to the idea of being shaped in this time, um, as the people of God have been, you know, come out of Egypt and the worship that's set up 
for the Old Testament people of God on, on the Sabbath day. Uh, the Lord says in Exodus 31, 13, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. And that word sanctify is just we're being changed. We're being made more holy. We're going from glory to glory. We're being made more like Christ, and that's in the context of worship. If, if, if there's a day in which we recognize there is a God and we are not it, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> as, we, as we come, uh, you know, we think we're in control of everything all our, uh, all week long, and we come to back to the Lord, and we realize we that He has controlled every providence in our life. Yeah. Okay. So, winding down. Um, last question: How can we ensure that we are being transformed and shaped in the right ways? I, you know, I want to pick up something that you talked about before when you were talking about we become what we worship. Uh, someone, someone said, you know, that this is what happens when uh, we worship something else. Pretty much anything else is going to eat us alive. If you worship money and things, if that's where you are at, at to tap the real meaning of life, then you're never going to have enough. You'll never feel you have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. Mm-hmm. And when the time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, and you'll end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will never ever, uh, you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. But the insidious, insidious thing about these forms of worship is they're unconscious, they're default settings. Yeah. So this is what happens, everybody's worshiping, and yeah. these default settings will take over. Yeah, that's right. 15 seconds, you want the last word? I would just say that the whole idea of Hebrews eleven is that by faith the the unseen becomes more than than becomes more real than the, the than the seen, and so in worship your prayer should be, Lord, how open my eyes that I might see the unseen. May I see God and become like Him. Amen. Absolutely. See you next time. <laughs>